and welcome to Sounding Out Porsche. I'm Anna. And I'm Emma. Many of you will no doubt remember the tragic death of American black man George Floyd in May 2020. It had a profound impact on so many of us, sparking protests around the world against racial inequality and police brutality. And while some of us took to the streets and supported various campaigns for a more just society, here in Horsham, social care worker Vivian Ocasio-Tirado channeled all the hurt, anger and injustice she felt about George Floyd's death into writing a book about diversity. We're deliberately keeping the introduction to this episode short because we want to let Vivian be the one to tell us her story and lead the discussion. Hi Vivian, welcome to Sounding Out Horsham. Um, I wonder if you can just start by telling us how you're connected to Horsham. Well, thank you, Anna, and thank you, Emma, for inviting me here with you today. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you. So we moved into Horsham about 11 years ago. We originally lived in Ireland. So myself and my husband and our two kids moved to Horsham. My husband got a job here in West Sussex, and that mandated us to move. We fell in love as soon as we saw Horsham. So yeah, that's our connection. We've lived and worked here for about 11 years now. And you've written a book, Diversity Acrostic Poem. How did you come to write this book? So I, in 2015, I produced the poem, the Diversity Acrostic Poem, which is helping social care staff on how to develop cultural sensitivity within the practice and um, it was well received at my workplace I actually got an award for it so that was great that was in 2015 I didn't really think of a book at the time to be honest with you I was thinking more in terms of a workshop more in terms of training but then um, a year ago in 2020 around about March I was on leave and we know what happened at that time that was when COVID came in and then um, before you knew it there was lockdown and yeah. you know I had planned my annual leave I was going to go away to California to see my brother so I had planned everything just like everyone else we had our plans and then yeah. um, obviously everyone was in lockdown so I sort of um, thought to myself what am I going to do for two weeks of my leave from work then the poem came to my head and so I did effectively start writing and then in May George Floyd happened and it had profound impact on everyone and at that point I was like oh this is it this is it this needs to be a book so that was when I effectively channeled the passion the energy the sadness the hurt and all all of that there was a force in there it needs to go out this if this is the way that you protest against George Floyd then do it then and so that was when effectively my book um, became a book in my head and then I was writing and writing and I said to myself if I can't get it out straight away I need to aim towards the um, anniversary of George Floyd and I'm happy to say that I did uh, meet my target and I'm really pleased pleased about it and I call it my pride and my joy yeah it's impressive that you managed to you know you had that idea and then you went through to production and and then published it in the space of a year I think that's really impressive yeah and um Anna and I've both read through the book and really impressed by how clear it is and how much it discusses but maybe for our listeners maybe you could tell us a little bit about the the structure of the book because it's based around your poem diversity acrostic poems so yeah basically i'm aware that social care staff are very busy people i just wanted a straightforward book that carries the message and and that will entice people's interest as well so my book is quite succinct but it does hit the point so i've started a book with a tribute to George Floyd. So basically when George Floyd happened, 
I did a write-off which was published in West Sussex County Times and that was a tribute to George Floyd and that was when I was trying to appeal to people's empathy mm. as to what had happened to a fellow human being. That article formed my author's note in my book. So going forward, my diversity across the poem, uh, each of the letters of the poem forms a chapter in the book. So my chapter one, for example, would be D decide to be a culturally sensitive practitioner for example so i've talked about i've expanded on each each domain of of my diversity across the poem i've virtually explained what i mean because it's an educational book i've highlighted solutions as opposed to problems you know it is such a sensitive subject that unless you we decide to engage in it we won't actually get the benefits so um decide to be a culturally sensitive person most people want to be culturally sensitive but how do we then take that step to actually do something more to achieve diversity so it's about a decision that people have to make so for me it's about in your head it has to start from your head you have to make a decision that you know this person regardless of color that this person is a human being because for example the way that we saw that George Floyd was treated he was treated as if he was not a human being which would bring to mind that people of different races are perceived differently and therefore not treated as equally as others or treated as nicely as others. So it's about a conscious decision that has to come from the inside. Do I really want to engage? And for us as social care workers, we come into the practice for social justice. We want to create social justice. When you're caring, it doesn't matter what color, it doesn't matter what gender, the sexual orientation, the religion of that person, you just want to care for people. Yeah, and you talked about people of all backgrounds and encouraging people to talk about it. Is that something that you would recommend to sort of have conversation, ask questions? I know that's something that seems to come through in your book. Yeah, so in my book, I've talked about engaging because there's no way you're gonna know about other people's cultures, other people's beliefs and values and, and live the spirit if you don't speak to them we need to develop that culture and it's not an easy step it's not easy to say oh I want to invite people into my space or I want to go into other people's space but that's what I'm actively advocating through my book let's get to know people so that we're not easily offended because if we know about people's values and we hold them there then we will begin to respect them but if I don't know how can I engage if I don't know anything about if I don't know your values if I don't know your lived experiences you know if I don't know anything so for me it's a about inviting people into your space, inviting people to talk about those things. Do you think that in general we should ask more questions, that maybe we shouldn't be so afraid of of asking questions? Absolutely. I'm talking about curiosity, that we have to be curious about others. I always say information is power. You know, if you don't have information, how can you act? You know, for example, I'm working with children. Some of the people or the children, the vulnerable people we work with, they might be young in age, but actually their lived experiences are older than the adults Mm. that are working with them so if we don't know that that would be not working to the best interest of the child so it's about connecting with the people that we work with be it on a personal level be it on a professional level it's about connecting in order to change behavior in order to bring about positive outcomes and i know that you really want to focus on on the positive sides and solutions rather than mistakes but I'm, I'm still wondering what are some things that perhaps we do in general that proves that we are perhaps not that sensitive 
and I think it's again we're just coming back to not knowing about people I'll give you an example I personally when I speak I speak with passion and I'm waving my hand and I'm moving up and down and but that's the way that's my own personal makeup as a professional as an individual but sometimes people might perceive it as aggression I personally have a loud voice and even my husband would joke about it <laughs> but then I might go to people that don't know me they might perceive the person as oh aggressive or threatening or you know assuming position positions or wanting to be seen or heard but actually that's me and unless you know me for example um friends that know me know my voice my voice is distinct just as your voice is distinct mm -hmm. so that yeah. is those are the qualities that make us different and makes life more interesting like if everyone had the same sort of voice or the same sort of accent because i know that you know we've seen situations where people's accents are mocked and mimicked yeah. and people are made to feel less than themselves because of their accents but actually that is who they are. So less judgment, is that yeah. what you're saying? Let's not judge people, let's get to know people. Yeah. I, when you talked about, um, we talked about asking questions more and being curious. Um, there are times when people might say the wrong thing and they might insult somebody, maybe unwittingly, but it's still not right. But how do we have those conversations and ask those questions so that you're not being offensive? I think as individuals of different backgrounds and different cultures, we have to be open to offence. We mm. have to be open to people not getting it right because we're all human beings, you know. I might not get it right sometimes with my fellow white colleagues and mm. they might not get it right with me, but it's about being open to accept when people get yeah. things wrong, but also just gently challenging. I, I put emphasis on gently challenging. So as much as my book is saying, grab some knowledge, get some knowledge, but also uh, we on the earth, all, all of us, we have to be open to people offending us by the use of language. And what we do is we teach them or we explain to them why that language might not be yeah. Yeah. The, the kind of language you use. Don't just go, oh, don't call me this or don't call me that. Why? Explain to the people, okay, this is the reason why you can't call me that or you can't say mm. this to me because this is my lived experience or the lived experiences of people like me around this world. And then people would then have a deep understanding. And that is the kind of conversation that brings change and that brings us into terminology doesn't it because that can be tricky which terms should we use for people from different backgrounds so um terminology is very very complex subject i'm not going to um, prescribe terminologies for people to use yeah. what i would say is get to know people on an individual mm. basis yeah. how do you want to be referred i I want to be referred as a black woman. I'm a proud black woman. Some people will say, oh, I don't want to be called black because I'm not black. And they'll give you examples. So on one occasion, someone said to me in one of my trainings, oh, that the remote control for a TV is black. But actually, I'm not black because I'm brown. So that person preferred to be called brown or mm -hmm. preferred to be called a woman of color. Yeah. So again, if I hadn't had that engagement, I would have referred to her as a black lady. Yeah. So, it, so yeah. it's just, just a simple question. It's, it's a simple question and it's a simple getting to know people mm. and not taking offense and yeah. at, at when people try to correct us it's about learning and asking questions religion uh, oh you, you what is your religion oh tell me a little bit about that you know just being yourself being mm. open yeah. to receiving knowledge it is a complex terminology but 
absolutely black people do not want to be referred to as colored color looks like something you 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 created and you dropped a bit of color it's not accurate so let's make it a bit more colored (laughs) and get to the color that we want to know so that is an outdated term no one wants to be referred to as far as i'm aware colored i mean i can speak for myself i am a proud black woman i want to be referred to as black i don't mind if you call me a person of color but don't call me colored How about the term B-A-M-E, BAM? So, so black Bain. and minority ethnic background. So black and minority ethnic background. There is some controversy around that name because it seems to group or section people into... It's, you're talking about so many different races and, and cultural backgrounds, yeah. aren't you? It's, yeah. It just lumps everybody into one It category. kind of does. But ultimately, for me, I'm thinking, in the great scheme of things, that is a little bit not something that we should be dwelling so much because it's just terminology mm-hmm. we're not going to come to that place where we find a perfect terminology what we want to get to is a perfect equal society that's yeah. what we want to get to so the terminology could easily be a distraction yeah let's tackle inequality let's tackle cultural bias let's tackle racism that is the important yeah. thing it's an interesting point about equality in your book. You say to achieve equality, we have to promote diversity. Yeah. How do we get to that point where it's about we have embracing? Because we so so we'll see organisations say we're pushing equality. We want to be an equal organisation, but then you look around there, there's no diversity, and it just makes you wonder. For example, take a county like West Sussex. There's so much diverse, rich in the various workforces. There's diversity. You can see. So if that's represented in the workplace, that is when you say you have equality. If you go to a workplace, for example, and there's, say, 50 managers, and then they have just one black person, one Asian person, does that sound like equality to you? Mm -hmm. I don't know. For me, it doesn't. It doesn't. Especially when we're in a place where we have diversity. Do you see what I mean? If we go to, there's some countries that are predominantly maybe white, (coughs) but in England, the diversity is massive, is rich, is beautiful. I mean, in the aftermath of George Floyd, we're seeing a little bit of that. For example, you'll go on TV programs and you would not see black people on those programs. And you begin to think, oh, maybe that's not a program for black people at all but now going back now you go back to those programs in the aftermath of George Floyd and you suddenly see black people so why wasn't it happening before that's for me is equality is about tapping into all the resources around you because we all know the benefits of diversity for a nation for a people for an organization is so massive I think not tapping into it is a tragedy yeah yeah I know um, towards the end of the book, there are actually two things. You spoke about that as a victim, as a black victim, it's, it's, that it's hard for the victim to prove that you're a victim so that blacks need the support of whites. Exactly. So in terms of um, racism, for example, black people experience racism on a day-to-day basis and it hurts them deeply. It affects mental health, but they choose not to speak. They live in silence. They live in silence. Because when they do challenge it, they're seen as the problem. Before you know it, everybody, you're the victim. You know, there's there's fingers pointed at you. So a majority of people that suffer racism in the workplace do not speak out. They Mm -hmm. suffer in silence and it affects their mental health. So we need, black people need white counterparts to help them challenge racism. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. So since I've to George Floyd, I and a colleague of mine have championed the Black Lives Matter diversity training in my workplace. So we've delivered a number of workshops in the workplace, but 
I don't think I would have been as bold <laughs> to take up that challenge if I did not have my organization or my white counterpart joining me because everyone will say oh because she's black she's going to tell us all about her experiences of racism but actually we need people to come along we need allies we need Mm. allies so standing outside and say oh it's all it's their problem no racism is a societal problem and again i feel that a lot of white people want to be on that side but maybe are afraid to step on people's toes and uh, and to oh, take over their question i don't want to talk about us and them in that way yeah. but i see what to, you mean is they don't want to speak over somebody i guess it's about being a support rather than taking on the cause from champion. a white perspective yeah, so i think it's about working together which is again what my book promotes you know coming together how can we help is a simple question how can i support you in this for example again when george floyd happened black people in particular were saddened especially the young people and we saw that close to home as well young people were really saddened because they're thinking there's no hope really yeah it's what is in this world for me if a black person can be murdered on the street like that mm. you know why am i leaving we saw some people were really mentally affected by judge floyd and from my perspective I would have wanted to hear more white people talking about it. Yeah. You tune into the TV stations and you see, oh, you black person, come and tell us about it. Why not get white people as well to talk about their feelings? Yeah. So I would have loved to see, hear the feelings of the average black person, the average Asian person, the average um, white person, you know, the various um, cultural groups speak about because this was an injury. I call it an injury to humanity. Yes. It's everybody's problem. It's not black people's problem. So right. let's get people talking about it because I'm aware of white people that were tormented by that. You're and absolutely right. right. The outrage so. is... Yeah, it makes you feel sick. For something so brutal to happen to a human being is horrendous. And, and for example, I, I've had to ask people, my friends, my colleagues, what did you think about George Floyd? Some people have ignored me. But some people have said, oh yeah, I felt really bad. You know, so it would be nice to hear people talking about... Because... I think we have a culture, and I'm talking to myself as well, that if we ignore it, it will go away. (laughs) That culture of let's ignore it is going to go away. No, let's talk about it. Because whenever we pull up the carpet, it's going to come haunting each and every one of us. When, um, after the George Floyd protests, there was an outpouring of of grief and anger from lots of places, and there were lots of organisations and businesses who want to be in solidarity with Black Lives Matter and put, say, on their social media, they made it clear. But it kind of felt like it was maybe lip service. They were just saying, oh, I support this. But then you look at the boards, the executive yeah. board, perhaps for the company, and yeah. it's all white men or, mm. you know, there's there's no diversity mm. to be seen within the organisation or maybe the organisation has some examples of where racist behaviours happened. Mm. Have you seen places that have taken action? Yeah, what I see is I like that word lip service because that's what we see around generally, you know, political speeches, well-drafted speeches, and it's not really from the heart. It doesn't show any indicator that, you know, something is going to change in this area. So, yeah, it is. Unfortunately, a lot of, from my perspective, there's a lot of lip service. 
You know, we've been talking about racism for ages. We've been talking about not just racism, but inequality across all protected characteristics, um, religion, gender. We're talking about all of those characteristics that are discriminated against. And it's time to start producing solutions. It's time to start formulating strategies, you know, solutions, get people in. How can we help you? You know, like you say, you go to some workplaces. Oh, yes, we're going to formulate an equality strategy. And, and there are no other people from other backgrounds grants strategies are formulated on behalf of the people affected no you get the people affected into that boardroom and you ask them how they feel tell me what can i do how can i help you how can i make things better Mm -hmm. and then you will hear informed narratives yeah and and calling those people that make you feel uncomfortable because those are the people that you get the information because what we see a lot as well in the leadership area in around diversity quality what have you immigration it's more of people we can sort of control yeah and we know that they're not radicals you know they were always told the line but actually get those people you're uncomfortable with put them in the front line and learn from them there's nothing wrong in shaking up service that's what you want to do you want to shake up and create change and give profound sustainable solutions yeah and it goes back to obviously you mentioned about asking questions yeah yeah asking questions is key you know how can i help you okay i mean like you talked about women for example you know the inequality is so huge something that people kind of bypass is for example as a woman we're all women here yeah, in this yeah. interview and you go walk into a room and of 10 men and of 20 men or 15 men and you're the only woman there is an element of discomfort yeah. when you go into a place and it's predominantly for example a group of a certain people you know you take a back step and the same with white and black I, I remember when when i first came into west success as well and hosham 11 years ago the diversity wasn't quite as much as it yeah, is now yeah, yeah. and i would look around and i would just see a sea of white faces and there was nothing absolutely nothing wrong with the sea of white it's beautiful but i still felt like oh my god where yeah. are the black people yeah, <laughs> the black be, we're not seeing someone who looks it, like it, you yeah. or and it just it's it's, it's, it's natural reaction it's natural reaction and the same in in meetings as well you go into a a meeting for example or you go into a workplace and you're the only black person or the only person of color in the workplace you begin to think okay i need to conform because if i don't i won't be accepted and and sometimes you get that look as well you get looks of what are you doing here you don't belong here and also as as you get those funny looks you get the very lovely looks of people thinking oh my god it's good to see someone different friend but at the same time you see people you see those looks that tells you you're not welcome Mm -hmm. as well so you have to walk your way how can i be the best how can i conform how can i assimilate you know you begin to work exceptionally hard and it's not good for anyone's mental health but it's things that we take for granted and a black person will not come in and say to you oh i've just got this job by the way why are there no other black people Actually, there is a certain form of discomfort. It's being uncomfortable because you're not seeing what you're used to kind of thing. And what I say to people, fellow white colleagues, for example, just close your eyes and imagine yourself in a boardroom and then you're the only white person. It has a certain effect. And that's what we're trying to get people to relate that. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. People will not necessarily tell you that. But I think what we have to remember is that the large majority of people want a more diverse and a more just and a more equal 
society. Mm. And for instance, we recently witnessed racism after the Euro final. And I think that to absolutely most people, the racist attacks afterwards, that's so much worse. That really gives those games a sour aftertaste. It's not the fact that those players missed their penalty shot. It's the racism that's mm. what upsets people mm. and we have to remember that most of us really really want a more fair society yeah i think that was clear to see so first of all the football matches that way looking at the lineup of the footballers we were proud mm. yeah. i was particularly proud i know you were you were people were proud to see the diverse lineup of yeah. footballers so yeah. that was amazing to see and that is a credit to the united kingdom that they have such a diverse team it was really to be applauded that this group of footballers brought the England team to the finals. That was amazing. But actually, at the back of the mind, you're thinking this is the benefit of diversity. How do we nurture this going forward? How do we nurture this going forward? And then we came to the penalties and I, we just sort of saw the captain. He went and talked to the various people mm. to shoot. And we just sort of said, oh yeah, he's picked those people to shoot the penalty. He picked them for a reason. But then it happened that, oh, the penalty shots. And we just sort of knew that there was going to be a backlash. Sometimes or most times we are celebrated. Black or people of the minority background are celebrated when it's all going well. But when it goes peer-shaped, they'll then show you, hello, you're not with us. As a player, you miss a penalty. You're already dealing with that loss yeah. personally. Mm. And then to add the racial abuse to it, it's appealing. It's appalling. It's appalling. It, it, and it's you have to remember, it's a game. And, and good. It's, it's interesting that you say that because in my tweet, I said, the game of football, it's a game. It's a game. It's not life. It's not death. It's a game. Everyone is enjoying the game. It was really, really sad to see the racial abuse, but it wasn't surprising. Mm. I tell you what, it wasn't surprising. So my, my young daughter, you know how young people tweet and do all of this social media stuff. By the time the first person missed the penalty, the young people were saying to themselves, if you're black and you're in the pub, get out now. Mm. Oh, can you you know get out really? they were tweeting and my um uh, and you know yeah if you're black get out now and by the time the second person lost the penalty if you're still in the pub get out now what was that because racial abuse is about to be directed at you and that's exactly that's really it's so, scary. It's that's so, predict it's so yeah. predictable and that's... i know someone else that said to me oh i didn't go into work the next day because my company or my factory is in a predominantly white location that I illustrates did want, how it i feels. did not i yeah. did not want to go in so that i don't get vandalized basically because black people have left oh the country God. now because yes. the black players lost the penalty Awful. it's yeah. so unacceptable that yeah. the players who missed the penalty were vilified for something that's not related to their missing the penalty we could criticize their skill or their nerves yeah. or whatever it was but yeah. The colour of their skin is, is yeah. irrelevant, but it's just very sad that they have to deal with that on top of the on disappointment. Of that, there are, and they, I know they all felt very upset they about crying. the fact they, I yeah, mean, they they'd missed it. It's not a good, it's, you know, when you miss a penalty as a footballer, it's a loss that you're dealing with processing. It's not just in football. If you go for an interview and you don't get the job, it's a loss you're dealing with. It's everyday losses that people deal with. So to add the, the racial abuse is just, you know, at that point, some people probably wanted them to jump in the lagoon and die because they lost the penalties. And remember, what we're seeing is overt racism, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. What is the one that goes underneath? Where are those extremists, the races that are going to go and do something on the line that nobody knows about? That is the fear that black people live constantly with yeah 
So this fear is what whites or everybody has to just remember that that's the fact. It is a fact that we're dealing with. Um, someone said, and I'll borrow this quote, diversity is a fact. Equity is a choice. Mm. You know, it's a choice that we need to make. Yeah. It's a choice. So what are some simple things that we all can do that perhaps we don't do to contribute to achieving more diversity? We've spoken about it. We've spoken about just getting to know people, inviting people into your space. But actually, black people need white counterpart allies, people with a genuine intention to nurture diversity and make sure that there is equality. And also people that will stand for justice and equality and stand out boldly is what I think that black people need. Because like we've discussed, black people, when they highlight inequality, it doesn't often go well for them. So what we need is fellow white people that will say no that is injustice what do we do about it we saw it in the judge floyd's protest and it was beautiful to see people from all backgrounds going out and protesting against what happened to judge floyd so the struggle should not just be left for those affected everyone should come alongside and help to to bring justice and equality fair play in our society one of the things i wanted to say also is in order to work well with diversity i think personally that we white people should embrace the fact that there is white privilege mm. yeah. there is white privilege and so without engaging with your privilege as a white person it'll be very difficult to become that effective ally that black people need so showing empathy empathy is so key we have to basically as humans we have to show empathy to the less privileged those who are not at the same level as us but how can we help those people if we constantly say to ourselves oh i'm not privileged i'm not privileged yeah. I, I grew up here and my parents were poor that isn't the privilege we're talking about fundamental white privilege that white people enjoy and they enjoy from when they were born Dr. D'Angelo in the United States uh, who is a really active advocate for anti-bias. She's a professor of education in California. She talks about engaging with your privilege and she says that the average white person's psychosocial development is inculcated in the waters of white supremacy. It's, a, it's, it's something that no white person can miss. So the earlier we start to kind of engage with that and understand that this is entrenched, it's ingrained. D'Angelo will also say that by the age of three and four, the average child knows that it's better to be white than black and vice versa. So for example, when we say black lives matter, others will say all lives matter. That isn't the point. No, it misses the that, point. That isn't the point. Mm. Because of course all lives matter. All lives should matter. But what we're saying, let black lives matter too. Because at this moment in time, and we've all seen it on the streets of America, that black lives did not matter when George Floyd died. And so that's what we're trying to connect to. Standing up for justice, creating room for others. Mm. And some people will quote and say, it's not just about creating room. People should now be stepping aside and allow the less privileged, give them the root, let the less privileged, give them, give them your place, mm. <laughs> give them your place. Mm. So genuine actions to show that actually we are 
wanting to embrace diversity. We are wanting to cut across all of these inequalities and reshape the society into a better place. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to say is that we have to develop a mindset of disrupting or interrupting racial inequality, cultural inequality, racism, whatever. We we have to develop a mindset to disrupt it in any how we can. We're not going to eliminate it totally. It's not a day's job. It's not a month's job. It's over many years because this has been happening for generations. But we have to develop a mindset that disrupts. And that mindset has to rise above our ego, our self-image, and our feelings. Thanks, Vivian. It's been great speaking Mm -hmm. to you. And I thought your book is excellent, and it it really made me think more, and it's given me some solutions. And I think... I think lots of other people would benefit from reading it. So if they want to get hold of a copy, what do they do? So the book right now is selling from a website called VOT Training. So if you go to www.vottraining.co.uk, you should be able to get a copy from there. So that's where it's selling from at the moment. Fantastic. And uh, so this book is based around the acrostic poem for the word diversity. Would you like to finish by reading it? Absolutely. It is my pleasure. So, the diversity acrostic poem, working with diversity and developing culturally sensitive practice in social work and social care. D, decide to be a culturally sensitive practitioner. I, invite people to talk about their cultures, values, beliefs and experiences. V, value their history, individuality, and differences. E, explore clients' realities, show curiosity. R, reflect upon information and knowledge received. S, scrutinize yourself, do a personal SWOT analysis of your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. I, identify strategies to aid your work in this domain. T, train yourself to treat people and families individually. Why you must yield to culturally sensitive practice. Thank you for listening to Sounding Out Horsham. If you have feedback on this episode or would like to suggest future topics for us to cover or people for us to speak to, you can reach us on social media via Twitter at SO Horsham or Facebook. Just search for Sounding Out Horsham. Or you can email us at sohorsham at gmail.com. That's the letters sohorsham at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed listening and want to support what we do, we'd also love to get a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And make sure you're following us so you don't miss our next episode. Mm-hmm.